This is from Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came into the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Also in Titus 3, verses 3 through 7, we see, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, and led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out to us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Please be seated and let me pray. Lord, uh, we just pray this morning that you would illuminate our hearts, Father. We pray that you would speak through Ryan, give him your words and your thoughts. Father, pray that you'd be glorified through our time this morning. God, pray that you would resurrect our hearts. Lord, pray that you would keep our eyes focused on you. God, we celebrate your resurrection this morning. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. How you guys doing? Doing well. It's Easter, right? Fancy. Yeah. Somebody believes that's good. It's good to be here with you this morning. Uh, to those of you that are that are in from out of town, I met a few of you, or to those of you that are visiting for the first time, we just say welcome. Welcome to the family. Uh, and we are in a series of messages that we're calling Made Alive. And, and what we've been looking at in this series, thank you, brother. What we've been looking at in this series uh, is really what it means to be made alive. Like, to go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Like, what happens from God's perspective? What's going on underneath the service? What's our part? What's God's part? What's happening when someone is made alive by Jesus? And we believe a couple things about this. That, that once we see more clearly what God is doing, that will, it will help us understand what God has done in us to give us more security, to give us more hope and more faith in what God has done. But also it will show us uh, how God has called us uh, to, to love our neighborhood, to love our city, and what our part is in seeing people come to faith uh, in Jesus. So, uh, you know, whenever, um, whenever I grew up, I was in, um, I grew up in central Kentucky, and, uh, you know, it was kind of sad to, to see them not go very far in the NCAA basketball tournament, but I'm kind of over that now. Uh, but, but growing up in central Kentucky, you know, I started following Jesus sometime in high school, a couple of 
couple brothers led me to the Lord on my basketball team. And uh, I ended up going to Bible college. And, and in Bible college, I decided, I got into it two and a half years, uh, and I thought that God had called me into the ministry. And uh, two and a half years in, I was like more unsure of being a pastor than I was when I went in. <laughs> and so I decided to pump the brakes on it. And uh, a friend happened to invite me uh, to, he was, he was actually discipling me, and he actually invited me to move with his family uh, to Las Vegas, Nevada. And so, um, you know, I, I kind of went back and forth with him, but it eventually decided to go with him. And, and so, uh, you know, my, I'm, a, I'm an only child to a single mother, and so uh, I was sitting down with mom at dinner one night at Chili's, and as we were engaging over dinner, I had two objectives that I needed to communicate to her as effectively as possible uh, and as winsomely as possible. And so the first one was this, hey mom, I'm dropping out of Bible college. And that was the easy one, okay? And the second one was this, not only am I dropping out of Bible college, I'm moving to Vegas. <laughs> and so as I began to communicate that with her, somehow she was like cool with it. And uh, so ended up moving uh, to Las Vegas, and I'll tell you what I found when I got to Vegas over the two years that I was there. I met, ended up met, I, I found a wife, that's one thing, <laughs> which is awesome, um, but I also found uh, something beautiful. I found um, that I could be myself, uh, and I could be a pastor. I found that, that I could be who God had created and designed me to be, and I could live out the calling that he had on my life, that I didn't have to fit into this box. I didn't have to pretend and perform my way through the Christian life but I could be myself, and I could be a pastor. It taught me how to stop pretending. Uh, and for all of us, church, there's this tendency to pretend, uh, to, to pretend that, uh, that Jesus has raised us from the dead, uh, even though we don't experience the power of the resurrecting grace of God in our lives every day. Um, to, to pretend that that's on us when it's really not. Um, to pretend that we're really not as sinful as we are, or to pretend that, like in shame, to pretend that we're not really blood-bought saints who've been redeemed by King Jesus. And so my question for you as we get into the, 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 the scriptures this morning is this, what would it look like for you to really be where you're at this morning? So, some of you have been following Jesus for a long time. Um, some of you have been in the church a long time, but you're really far from Jesus. Some of you are just kind of kicking the tires, and maybe you're coming back to this thing. You've been away from the church for a long time. And some of you have maybe never been a part of God's people uh, and never really followed Jesus. Uh, wherever you're at this morning, I, want you to, I just want you to know this. You're in a good place uh, because Jesus meets us all exactly where we're at. In fact, he can't meet us anywhere else than where we're at. One of my favorite passages comes from Romans 5.20, and and Paul is describing the gospel, and he says this, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And here's what he means by this. If, if sin has not abounded in our hearts, grace cannot abound all the more in our hearts. And so if we look at our lives and we don't see the abounding sin of our flesh in our hearts, then how can we experience the endearing and winning grace of God in our hearts more fully that, that trumps the sin that we've experienced. How can we get that? Here's the big idea of where we're going today, church. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. So if we never see ourselves as lost and dead, we can never be alive and found. So we're going we're gonna to truck through this Luke 19 passage that 
where Jesus has this encounter with this guy from Jericho named Zacchaeus. But, but as we look at that, we're going to look at that narrative on one side, and we're going to run another passage of Scripture kind of parallel with it as we go. And it's this passage from Titus chapter 3. And so we're going to look at the kind of the physicality, the outward nature of what salvation has been to Zacchaeus. But on the other side, we're going to look at the heart level of what God has been stirring in this brother as he's come to faith. So that's what we're going to do. So the first point is this as we dig in. None of us are born looking for Jesus. And I'll go ahead and show you my cards and where I'm going today. The second one will be this. Jesus came to make sinners alive. And the third one is this. When Jesus makes you alive, your life changes. So let's dig in. None of us are born looking for Jesus. If you've got a Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 19 this morning. If you don't, no worries. It will be on the screen for you to, for you to check out. Luke 19 uh, chapter 1 says this, he entered Jericho, this is Jesus, and he's on his way to Jerusalem where he'll, where he'll be um, crucified, where this whole Passion Week thing will happen that we're celebrating today. So he entered at Jericho as he was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. So Zacchaeus... Have, anybody have a kid named Zacchaeus? That'd be a fun one, right? You know, it'd be good. So Zacchaeus was the kind uh, of guy who had a reputation that kind of preceded him, okay? It was, it was a reputation that people knew. And let me tell you why. Because he was, he was not only a tax collector, but he was a chief tax collector, meaning that he had tax collectors that reported to him as the chief tax collector. Now, when people would describe uh, kind of the sinful nature in these days, they would say it like this. And they would accuse Jesus of things like this. You hang out with sinners, which are like, you know, dirty, rotten people. But then you also hang out with people that are even more dirty than them, tax collectors. And this guy is a chief among the tax collectors. So let me tell you how it would go down, okay? This is kind of like, you know, my, my, my aunt uh, worked for the IRS. And, uh, you know, I used to watch her kind of loathe when she would tell people what she did. Now, if you work for the IRS, that's awesome. But, but I remember reading a, an article where it said that, you know, they were trying to change some of the titles of, of people that work for the IRS, things like Tax Policy Compliance Director, because that's a lot better, right? Well, a tax collector, I can assure you, was way worse, and here's why. Uh, so so the, the Romans would colonize a city, and their desire was to obviously tax its inhabitants to help pay for Rome who was this like city that like the world had never seen before with all these roads and all these buildings and all of this architecture all these beautiful things and so they were smart enough to know that if they put a Roman soldier in charge of collecting tax in these cities that they've colonized um, that everyone would hide their money just like you and I would do and the guys wouldn't know where to find it so here's what they would do this is pretty tricky so the Romans would hire someone in the city who knew the city and knew its people well. And they would say, you know, hey, we want X percent of what people have. Now, whatever you get on top of that is yours. You can do whatever you want. You can charge whatever you want. It's up to you. Now, that, that's great and good, if, but if there's only one guy, there's probably going to be a revolt that happened. So the Romans picked up on this, and they gave this guy a posse of soldiers to enforce whatever he wanted to do. So these guys would take money, they would send it to Rome, and then they would keep large amounts of money for themselves. Uh, and so 
this guy was not only a thief, but this guy was a thief of his friends. He, he, was, he was a thief that took advantage of the fact that he grew up in Jericho, and he knew, he knew where all the people that were rich were. He knew where they kept their money, where they kept their assets. And he leveraged the fact that he knew these people to line his own pockets. Can you imagine a more filthy person? This is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus would be the guy that if he was in church today, he would be sitting on the front row because that's where no one else sits. Right? I mean, no one would want to sit next to him because of, of, of who he is and his reputation uh, that preceded him. So here's my, here's my question. Can you see yourself in Zacchaeus? I think it's easy to look at these caricatures in the Bible and look at these stories in the Bible of these people that are like super awful and to say, man, at least I'm not like that guy. I want to flip it on you today. Can you see yourself in Zacchaeus? Because remember what we're going after. We're going after abounding grace, but if abounding sin, if we're not aware of that in our lives, we, we don't get to abounding grace. That's what the Scriptures say. So can you see yourself in Zacchaeus? Because here's what happened with Zacchaeus. He was leading this life of isolation because of the, the damage that he had done to all the relationships, all the people that were closest to him. He was digging a grave for himself. But here, here's the beauty of what was going on in his heart. At some point, Zacchaeus came to this point in his life where he realized that he was, a dead, he was at a dead end. He realized that he was all alone, that he was isolated, and all the things that he had accumulated couldn't really give him what he really needed. They couldn't really give him joy. They couldn't really give him fellowship, friendship. They couldn't give him companionship. They could give him none of those things. They were powerless over his relationships. That lucrative career that the Romans had promised him had left him tremendously empty on the inside. He was a, at a dead end. Now Titus would say, here's what's going on underneath in, in, in a guy like Zacchaeus's heart. Paul would write this to Titus. He says, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedience, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Pretty much describes Zacchaeus's life, okay? And for us, I'm willing to bet it has described at least a component of our life as well. If this isn't something we see in our journey with God, we might be blind to it. Because for every story of conversion, of every story of someone that's being made alive, is a story of what their life was like before they met Jesus and Jesus found them. You know, Zacchaeus is a story not about Zacchaeus hunting down and finding God, but about Jesus finding and hunting him down. And it started with him having a shift in his heart. He had a shift in his heart where all of a sudden he was open to curiously checking out Jesus. And maybe that's some of you this morning. You're, you're just kind of curious about Jesus. You're, you're kind of up in the tree like Zacchaeus was with the binoculars, kind of looking at him from a distance. And you're like, hey, you know, I heard he's passing through Jericho. I wonder what he's like. I wonder what kind of guy he is. I wonder if he's really as powerful and as gracious and forgiving as other people I know have said that he is. But here's the deal. If we're pretending, we'll only ever have pretend grace. You know what pretend grace is? It's vanishing grace. It's not real. It doesn't stay. It doesn't stick. But if you are willing, church, to be where you're at this morning, 
and to see the grace of God encompass your story and speak on behalf of your sin and pay for you and forgive you, you'll experience a couple of things. You'll experience mercy and you'll experience grace. What are those two things? Mercy has been said like this. It's not getting what you deserve. So we've said that that sin kind of deserves death and that's what it leads to. But then grace is this. It's getting what you don't deserve. So both are important. And if we don't see ourselves in Zacchaeus, we'll only ever have the narrative that says this, I kind of made it happen for myself. I kind of I did some things, I kind of pulled some things together, and I kind of made it happen. And that testimony doesn't stand at the end of time. That's the bottom line. So church, none of us are born looking for Jesus. So where are you at this morning? How do you relate? Are you, are you in tax collector mode? Kind of dead but running? Or are you in sycamore tree mode where you're kind of like, hey, I wonder if, wonder if it's real. I wonder if, he could, wonder if he could forgive me. Secondly, we see in the story this, that Jesus comes to make sinners alive. So let's look at Luke 19. Let's, let's pick up in verse 2 and kind of read on through this and, and look at the narrative here. He says this, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. Something that happened inside of him. But on the account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. And then the scriptures say, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. (laughs) He picks up here and he says, um, I was just in my footnote, I guess. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Joker invited himself over to Zacchaeus' house. That's what Jesus did. So he, so he hurried down. You've never seen a guy scurry down a tree as fast as Zacchaeus. Hurries down the tree. He receives Jesus joyfully. And when they saw it, the crowd that Zacchaeus ran in front of to climb up in the tree, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. See, what do we see happening here? So so suddenly the allure of lining his pockets uh, by the deceit of taking advantage of his kinsmen wasn't life-giving to Zacchaeus anymore. He decided that that was no longer the way that he could live. It was no longer a viable source of life, so he's kind of hunting down some other options. And something happened because there was this new affection in Zacchaeus. There was this, there's this newfound desire to see something outside of himself. To, to, uh, a new affection to come apart of his heart and displace the desire and love for more and more money. Some of you in the room are curious about Jesus today. Um, that's why you came to church. That's why you come to church. That's why you spend a little time with God's people. You're showing up today is like climbing the sycamore tree. You've climbed up. Uh, you, you've stopped running with the world for just a moment. Maybe this is you. And you've climbed up in the tree to kind of spy out what's going on with God's people. And, and, you know, when you do that, you don't really expect to have a personal encounter with Jesus. Like Zacchaeus... I'm going to be willing to bet the farm on it, did not expect for Jesus to see him. Because Jesus was going with the crowd, right? The crowd was following him, and there were so many people around that Zacchaeus, 
he decided to go ahead and climb up the tree. But Jesus can only see Zacchaeus. He can't see the crowd. Because he had set his love on this brother to raise him from the dead. And when he gets to the place in the road, he sees Zacchaeus there and he looks up. And what does he begin to do with Zacchaeus? He calls him by name. You see, you've climbed the tree. Maybe you climbed the tree. And, and you, you're up there and you don't expect for Jesus to know you. Because if he did know you, that would have the potential to bring a lot of shame into your life, right? If he knew everything about you. Now because he knows Zacchaeus' name, what do we also know? That he knows his story. And Jesus makes a beeline for him and he gets right under that tree and he looks up. And he calls him to come down. And when he, when he calls him to come down, he doesn't begin telling him about all the things that he's done wrong. Zacchaeus' heart knows that. But he says, hey Zacchaeus, let's go have a meal. I bet it's been a while, Zacchaeus, since you've had someone dine with you, Zacchaeus. I bet it's been a while since you've had someone over to your house, since no one wants to be with you because of your lifestyle. I bet it's been a while, Zacchaeus. So Zacchaeus comes down the tree and he dines with Jesus. Now, what is it in you that keeps Jesus, Jesus at a distance in your heart? I don't care if you've been following Jesus for a long time or not. There are moments and times in your life where you keep Him at a distance. I'm, I'm willing to bet it's one of two things. It's either pride, meaning this, um, I like living my way. I, I've seen the life of Christians. And, and what does Jesus always do to Christians? He starts messing with them, right? He starts changing them, right? He starts reordering their love of things. And I don't want to change my lifestyle to follow Jesus. I don't want to change how I'm living. I don't want to change what I'm going after. And so pride keeps you in the sycamore tree. Pride keeps you away from Jesus. Or maybe it's shame. This is where I'm willing to bet Zacchaeus was. If he knew my reputation, if he knew the people that I've been with, if he knew how many people I've deceived, there's no way he would have me. Grace couldn't abound in me. So maybe you spend year after year up in the sycamore tree looking down with binoculars keeping Jesus at a distance. So Jesus strolls through and He tells Him to come down and Jesus begins to what do we see? Abide with Him. So in John 15 there's this passage of Scripture that says uh, that 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 basically that Jesus has come to abide with us and that we abide in Him and He abides in us. And what that word abide means, means to live, to dwell among. Jesus has come to, to live with Zacchaeus. He's come to have a meal with Zacchaeus. He's come to share life with Zacchaeus. He gets far more than he's bargained for. One, one old theologian said, he called Jesus, he described him like this, the hound of heaven. I love it because what it describes is how Jesus hunts down His people and He redeems them. Some of you can hear the footsteps of Jesus hunting you down this morning. He's coming after you. He's showing up at lunch with you today because He loves you and He gave Himself for you. And you this morning are hearing about His grace and wondering if it could be true. So I want to pause and I want to look at the heart of what's going on from Titus chapter 3. So flip over there if you've got your Bible open. Titus 3, 5-7 through talks about what's going on here. He says, but when the 
Remember Titus 3.4 said this, hey, we were all like rotten, dirty sinners. We were all Zacchaeus. But then there's this fantastic word, but. I'm so thankful for that word. I'm so thankful that God doesn't stop with where we were. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, Jesus just shows up. Did you see that? That's what he did when he, when he became incarnate and, and took on flesh and moved into our neighborhood and came to die a sinner's death so that we could live a, a, a divine life of one who's not been held down by death. This is what happens is that God's love sends Jesus to redeem us, to wake us up. Nothing in, us, nothing in your life has caused Jesus to show up. Frankly, he's not impressed with us. However, it's because of the great love with which he's loved us that he keeps showing up in our lives. And he keeps calling us to himself. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because we've been knocking it out of the park. Not because of anything we've done, he says. But according to his own mercy. And he says two things here. And I think these are so important because this is what it means to be saved. This is what it means to be found. He says, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ. Zacchaeus is regenerate. What's that, what's that big $10 word mean? It's a word that's only used a couple times in the Bible, and here's what it means. He's been given a new nature. You know, we looked at Ephesians 2 last week, and it said, while we were dead in our sins and trespasses, God made us alive. Okay, we, we were dead. We could not wake ourselves up from the dead, but God set his love on us, and he gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit that gave us the ability to see Jesus as Lord, to climb up into the sycamore tree and to spot him out and to follow him. He's new and he's clean. And I would say this, that we're new and we're clean. Think about this. This is what Ezekiel 36 says. This is a prophecy from long ago. Listen to what it says. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. I will sprinkle water on you, clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all of your uncleanliness. And from your idols I will cleanse you. And listen to what he's going to do. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from the flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. If you feel powerless over your sinful condition this morning, welcome to the club. Right? It's Jesus that meets us when we're not looking for Him. And it's Him that gives us this new nature. So you think about this. We're clean. He says, according to, this is Titus, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration. So His past matters, right? But it cannot define His future. That's what it means to be regenerate. He's been given a clean slate. He's been washed. He's been made new. And not like a car wash kind of wash. You know what I mean? I, look, guys, I washed my truck this week. I literally dry it off. There's pollen on top of it. Anybody else? Welcome to Georgia, right? It's like, th this is not the kind of wash we're talking about where, you know, the insides are all rusty and the outside just kind of looks polished up. He cleans us from the inside out. In fact, he's more content for us to be clean on the inside is what, what he does. And then we're being made new on the outside. It's this journey called sanctification. 
He's cleaning us. He's cleansed us on the inside and we're becoming more clean on the outside as we walk with Him day after day. He receives Jesus with joy. Now why does He come down from that tree and receive Jesus with joy? Because Jesus knows Him and He still wants to eat with Him. For some of you, that is the most refreshing thing you can hear today. That Jesus knows you and He still wants to eat with you. He still wants to show up for lunch today. He still wants to be with you. He still wants to abide with you. In fact, He's the only one qualified and capable to really love you. Because He knows you. Not just the things you've done, not just the things you've said, but the things you've thought. And He didn't stop at that. He didn't stop from calling you down. Second thing we see is we're new. We're clean and we're new. There's been a renewal that's taken place. And, and God's given us His Spirit. Now, when you look at what the Holy Spirit came to do, why Jesus sends the Holy Spirit, it's so that Jesus can be at the right hand of the Father in heaven, right? Interceding for us, sitting and, and claiming us. These are yours, God. They're in me. And so God sees us as perfect and righteous. He gives us the Holy Spirit so that He can also be with us. So we need Jesus to be with God at His right hand, and we also need Him to be with us so that we can obey what God has called us to do, that we can receive His love. And so He sends the Holy Spirit to magnify the work of Jesus in our hearts. And so if there's any kind of sliver of your conscience and your desires that seeks to please God, it's because the Holy Spirit has been working in you. You didn't come to that condition on your own. Now, now some of you, God has been making alive, and you've not responded, you've not, you've not professed faith, and you've not began to see God change your life, but you're curious, and I would say that that is the beginnings of a work of God in you. Zacchaeus received Jesus joyfully because he's clean and he's new. Lastly, let's land the plane with this. When Jesus makes you alive, your life changes. So let's read Luke 19, 8 through 10. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord after he came to the, down from the tree. They're probably eating or something at this point. He says, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'll restore it fourfold. I'll give him four times what I took, is what he's saying. And I'm starting to kind of do the math. I'm like, how's he going to have anything left, right? And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now Jesus forgave Zacchaeus and it changed him forever. <clears throat> and it didn't just change like his heart and his affections, but it actually changed what he was doing with his life. Right? Because I think a lot of times we're comfortable letting Jesus like into the heart and the soul kind of thing, but we're not interested in him changing the hands and the direction of our lives. For Zacchaeus, it was like an immediate thing for him. Like, hey, my life's got to change if I'm going to follow Jesus. Like, there's no option to keep walking down this road and say that I follow Jesus because he has met me. He has been with me. He has come to me. And I'm willing to bet that Jesus didn't show up to Zacchaeus and said, okay, bro, here's what's got to happen. First things first, half of it has to go to the poor. Now, second thing, you know, you've taken a lot of money. Maybe you've got interest off that. I want you to give four. He didn't come in and say, Zacchaeus, basically, you've got to give away everything. Now, he did do that with another guy. You remember that? The, rich, the story of the rich young ruler, which is just before this. He says, you know, one thing you lack, my man, 
Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Now, he didn't do that to him, and that guy walked away sad. Now, now Jesus, he, he, he did ask him for that, rather, and he, that guy walked away sad because he couldn't do it. Now, Zacchaeus, we don't even have any mention that Jesus mentions anything about this, and this guy is so willing to do it because Jesus is so good to him. His life begins to change. He didn't run away from the life that he lived either, right? He turned around, guys, and he confronted what he had gotten himself into. Now, you know what would have been an easier trajectory for Zacchaeus? Hey, Jesus, I'm going with you to Jerusalem. I'm going to pack my mule up. Let's go. But he turned around and he looked at everyone that he had defrauded in the eyes. You know what he had to say? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I've hurt you. I'm so sorry that I've broken your lives. I'm so sorry that I've taken advantage of you. Now, I know that there's probably no chance you're going to forgive me. There's no chance that you're going to be willing to fellowship with me, to have friendship with me. But I just, I just think that I need to give you back four times what I took from you. And I've got a record of that, and so I'm going to do that. And I don't care if it breaks the bank, and I'm, you know, I don't have a house. I don't care if it, all of it goes away. I'm willing to do that. Now, church, when we come to faith in Jesus, I think this is a model of what it looks like to really repent. That there is a measure of restitution. Now, Maybe it's emotional restitution. Maybe it's physical restitution. I don't know what it is, but we've got to confront those that we've hurt. And you know what happens when you begin to do that with people that you've hurt with your life? They begin to see the grace of God in 3D. They begin to see that Jesus has really changed this joker and that maybe his life has really changed because he's willing to lose it all. Now, how does that hit you this morning? You've hurt people in your unbelief. I've hurt people in my unbelief. Are you willing to enter into the conflict with the Spirit of God and trust Jesus to lead you there? Are you willing to do that? What I've noticed is this, is that our behaviors change as our affections change. A lot of us are so prone because we grew up in the South to bolt on our behavior, modify our behavior. But when your heart changes, your affections change. Your affections and your life follow. Now, we've got to do something with what we've heard today. There's, there's no middle ground. Either Jesus calls you out of the sycamore tree or you stay up there just looking down. I don't know where you're at today, but here's what I know about our church. We're not into these like emotionally drawn out corporate responses. But, but here's the deal. If God, if God has worked in your life and he is working in your life and you're interested in the things of Jesus, like somebody probably needs to know about that. Somebody probably needs to begin walking with you through that as you begin to figure out what it looks like to leave the life of sin that has described your story. Maybe people don't even know about it. But you're so twisted up with these, these things that you're hiding. Somebody probably needs to hear about it. Maybe you're not even willing to walk away from it all. Would you be willing to tell someone God's changing me. All of a sudden, Jesus and his ways seem more attractive than they ever have. Would I, would I love for you to come and talk to me about that after the service or shoot me an email tomorrow and let's get coffee this week? Absolutely. I'm a pastor. This is what I, this is what I signed up for, right? But at a minimum, would you, would you just commit this morning to talking to somebody about what God is doing in your heart? Because the Holy Spirit is the one that's prompting that work. And we don't want to waste it. Let's pray together. Lord, you, uh, you have done a mighty work 
uh, in your people to make us alive, to give us breath, to give us pulse, to enable us to see that we can we can see and savor Jesus and we can we can set aside the endeavors that have described our life, that have been our path. And God, we confess that it scares us to death to let you start rearranging our lives. But Lord, I pray that you would convince us this morning that there's really no other way to find joy. Lord, I pray for those this morning that... Uh, that are a regular part of New City or a regular part of a church. I pray that you'd encourage their spirits with the, just the fresh power of the resurrection in their hearts and lives as they leave this place today. Lord, I pray for those that um, haven't darkened the doors of a church in a while, in a minute. And they're here this morning, and your spirit's stirring in them. Lord, don't let the enemy steal that seed this morning. You're, pow- you're, you're way more powerful than that, Jesus. And we ask you, to come and meet with us. Um, It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.